Luke's gospel can be thought of as the gospel to the Gentiles, but it also shows that Jesus' birth, work, death, and resurrection are the fulfillment of the Messiah foretold in the scriptures. And I've taken the outline from this sermon from um, a preacher that I quite like, who's a preacher in Arizona, called Bryce Morgan. So he's, this is based on something that he preached, which is Jesus, the ultimate satisfaction. So one way in which Luke tells us about how um, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the stories that are in the scriptures is by the story of Simeon. So I'm going to, to um, talk about the story of Simeon. So to give some context to this story, when Jesus had been born, um, he was the firstborn son of his family. So therefore, he had to be taken to the temple um, and offering and a sacrifice made for him because he was the firstborn. So, they, so his parents would have taken a sacrifice of a couple of doves or, or pigeons or something like that and then take it to the temple to give thanks to God. Because in, a, in, in Jewish tradition, the firstborn son belonged to God. So that this was a tradition that they had. And Mary and, and Joseph do that, and um, that is when they meet Simeon. So I'm going to read from um, Luke 2, verses 22 to 36, or 35 even. Right, so. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came up into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, and you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light, for a, revel a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." So that is the story. And I want to pick out two bits, mainly from what, what um, Simeon says in his blessing over Jesus. And he, he, he prays to God about him. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Which sounds like a quite a strange thing for him to say. But it kind of is explained in the earlier parts of the story. So he says he, he's going to depart in peace because now Simeon feels that he can, he can die because he's seen Jesus. He was told that he would see Jesus before he was dead, that, 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 that would be fulfilled, and that he believed what God had promised to him. So um, now that he's seen Jesus, he, he knows because of the Holy Spirit being on him, the Holy Spirit reveals to him that this is the one. Because otherwise, because I, I would imagine Jesus probably looked like a pretty ordinary baby. He was a baby. 
So why would he, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, how would he know? So the Holy Spirit is what reveals that to him. And also, it very clearly says, according to your word, and this is the bit that really pulls it together and is what, what drew me to this passage. So Simeon is recognising that this is the one who was promised in the promises that, that Rob was speaking of in, in Micah and in Genesis and the bits that he spoke of, that this is, this is the Messiah. This is the one that is fulfilled. And it's also interesting that Luke, in, in the first part of his gospel, has weaved this through the first chapter also, because there are two parts of the first chapter that are important. So there's Mary, Jesus' mother, and Zachariah, who's Elizabeth's husband, which I'll explain a, a bit in, in a minute. But Mary, when she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth who's expecting John the Baptist, which picks up what um, Keith preached at the carol service in the, um, last week in the evening um, about the significance of John the Baptist. Mary um, goes to see Elizabeth, and Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit comes on her, and she speaks out a blessing over and says, blessed are you among women. And Mary then speaks a song out about that, and she, she prophesies during that song. And there's a really key bit in that that is Luke... 1, um, 54 and 55, which, in which she says about God, she's singing, speaking about God, she says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So she recognises in the spirit that th this child is the, is the chosen one, is the, is the one that was promised. And then later on in that chapter, it also tells about the story of Zechariah. If you remember the story of Zechariah, an angel visits Zachariah and says, your wife is going to have a baby and he is going to be the one that, that comes before, that, that paves the way for the Messiah. And Zachariah basically says, don't be daft, we're too old, we can't, that can't happen. So the, so, the, the, so the angel goes, right, well, you're going to be struck dumb then because that that's happens as a sign. So he can't speak for the rest of the pregnancy until the, the child is born. And he's told by the angel that he needs to call the child John, the people in the temple at the maiming ceremony think he should be called Zachariah because that was the tradition. And at that point, he writes down his name is John, and then he can speak again. And then being able to speak, he sings a song. So there is Zachariah's song as well. And part of that is a prophecy about what his son and, and what Jesus meant. So what John the Baptist and, and Jesus, what, what they were about. And Zachariah says in Luke 1, 69 to 70, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, and he has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. So again, it ties in the whole idea that this is the fulfillment of all those prophecies. So Simeon knew all of the, Israel's hopes rested on the coming Messiah. He was a devout man. He knew the scriptures. And he was waiting for the Messiah to come. And he deeply cherished those promises. And God had mercifully revealed to him that he would not die without seeing this new Messiah, this new king for Israel. And just as Moses was, pre prepared, was permitted to see the promised land before his death, so too Simeon was permitted to see this promised saviour. So it was almost like the ultimate bucket list, but it's only got one item on it. So we all know this idea of a bucket list, of these things that you want to do before you die. I've done a few of mine, I've still got a few left to go. But this is just this one fulfilment, and he knows that that has happened.
And just think about what he might have been feeling when he, when he held this baby in his arms. He, he must have been so overwhelmed by God's mercy and faithfulness that he couldn't speak. And he knew that everything was going to be okay because of this child that he had in his arms. Every hope, every prayer, every fear, and every longing, every need is going to be ultimately satisfied in Jesus. And that's the same for us. So we don't yet get to see Jesus with the eyes of our head. We can't physically see him, even though he's here. By his Holy Spirit, he is here in this place. We can't physically see him. We can see him with the eyes of our heart. So it's a really good picture of what it means to be born again and to become a Christian. That somehow the eyes of your heart are switched on and you see it. So I read and learned and and, and spent a lot of time reading the scriptures and I understood about Jesus and I, I, I got how it all kind of worked in theory. But it all just felt a bit flat. It didn't really entirely make sense until the Holy Spirit came in and just revealed that this is it. This matters. This is the Messiah. I need to give my life to him. So that is really important. So one day, we will see him with the eyes of our head. We will be able to see him face to face. But for now, we can look on him and we can look to him in faith. And when we do, we must recognize that he is all we need that our life is full because of him, and that even if we die tomorrow, we would die satisfied because of Jesus Christ. And Paul reminds us in Philippians 1 that in him even death is gain. And I want to read one of my most favourite scriptures, which might not immediately strike you as Christmassy, but it's one of my favourite passages in the Bible, which is Colossians 1, 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. And in in that, everything he, he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. I think it's a breathtaking description of Jesus and what he did. And Paul goes on to say to the believers in Colossae, and, and his prayer and his hope for them is, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of this mystery, which is Christ, in whom, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, Paul writes that quite a long time after Simeon was alive. So Simeon wouldn't have been able to read that and understand that. That wasn't in the Bible yet. But although he probably didn't understand that completely, Simeon clearly knows that the riches are full assurance of of understanding. So as he holds Jesus in his arms, he understands what that means. And we are most likely to speak about and point people towards and live for Jesus when we know that he's our ultimate satisfaction. So, I mean, I want to read a direct quote from Bryce Morgan from, from one of his sermons, which I think, which just sums up what I'm trying to say. So, when we hurt, he is our great physician. When we search for peace, he is our Prince of Peace. When we weep, his spirit is the comforter. 
When we are lonely, he is our friend and brother. When we yearn for love and commitment, he is our unwavering husband. When we seek guidance, he is the head of the body. When there is chaos inside, he speaks peace to the storm. When we need nurture, he is the vine. When we need access to God, he is the gate. When we need advocacy, he is the mediator, the great high priest. When we are guilty, he is our innocence. When we are stained, he covers us. When we are lost, he is the way. When we are blinded by lies, he is the truth. When we are sinking, he is the rock. When the darkness overwhelms us, he is the light of the world. When we are condemned and held captive, he is our ransom and redeemer. When we are hungry, he is the bread of life. When we are afraid, he is the King of kings, the Lord and the Son of God. And by grace, he is for us. So all of that is true of Jesus. But what's also key about what Simeon says in his, in his prayer over Jesus is that he realises that Jesus is his ultimate satisfaction, but he also realises he hasn't only come for him, he has come for his people. So in the second part of what he says, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation for the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. So the, the Jewish people were waiting for their Messiah, and they believed that their Messiah was for them. And there is a slight kind of, there's not exactly a change in message, because it was there all along, as, as, as you know, um, Rob and others have alluded to all the way, that God's chosen people, Israel, did not just include the Jews, but also included his chosen people, included Gentiles, i.e. people that were not Jewish. And Luke's Gospel particularly picks that up and highlights that. So, but this is one of the first times that this is spoken out in the Gospels, that this isn't just for the Jewish people, this is for the Gentiles as well. So the fact that Jesus satisfies our deepest needs and longings should affect the way we live our lives, and it should affect the people that we meet in our lives. It should add colour and flavour to what we do. And all the issues highlighted in that quote that I quoted of all the things that Jesus satisfies, then everybody faces that, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian. But and sometimes they might confine those things in us. So what do, what do we do with that? What should we do with that? So like Simeon, we need to be captivated with hope that there is an answer. We know the way. We have the bread and the water of life. We have the truth, and we see the light. And we shouldn't keep it a secret. We need to be convinced that others' needs have the same cure as our needs. We need to try and not cue them according to our own plan or their plan. That is something that I am very guilty of. So I've kind of got to a place in my Christian life where generally I go to Jesus when I've got a problem. Not all the time. I'm still learning that one. But sometimes, I think possibly because I'm a doctor, possibly just because I'm me, I will sometimes, someone comes to me with a problem, I might try and sort it out in my own strengths and think, well, I think you should do this and this and this. When actually what I need to do is take them to Jesus. What I need to do is go, Lord, what do you want me to do? If somebody comes to me, I need to say, Lord, what do you want me to say to this person? What do you want, what do you want me to do? And we need to realize that. And are we fully convinced that Jesus is the answer for them as much as, it, as he is for us? And that's a key point. So we shouldn't try and cure them according to our own plan or their plan, because we don't know what we're doing. He knows. So we should keep our eyes on Jesus and take others to him. 
The story of, of Simeon is a wonderful one, and it speaks of a, a faithful man dying happy because he is ultimately satisfied in Jesus. And when we are ultimately satisfied in Jesus, people notice. Are we prepared to point them to the source of our joy and our satisfaction? And the joy of Christmas should open our mouths to tell them.